On Monday morning of this week, early Monday morning, I got a text from my wife, from Shira, and I knew from the first word that this text spelled trouble for my day. <laughs> Shira was in Chicago uh, on, on work, for work, and I was flying in from Israel. I was in Israel last week. I was in Yerushalayim last Shabbat with her father, Rabbi Goodman, 94, and I took the red eye that leaves Ben-Gurion at 12.30 and lands at Logan uh, at about 6 o'clock in the morning, and we land, and I open my phone, and I see a text from my wife, and I see the first word, and I know I'm in trouble. The first word is honey. <laughs> Shira says honey, when in the text, she's going to ask me to do something that she knows I don't want to do. <laughs> so this is a verbatim recording of, of this text. I'm in the plane at Logan, 6 a.m. Honey, hope your flight home was good. Thank you so much for visiting Dad. Hey, I'm just wondering if you could do something today. Today is Halloween, and we don't want to be the Scrooge of Montrose Street. <laughs> we don't want to be the only house the light is not lit up. So would you have some time to go to CVS today and to buy some candy for Halloween and then to turn on the light and to be there when the kids come tricking and treating and give them the candy that they should find our home a warm place on Halloween? X-X-O-O. <laughs> me. <laughs> now, how am I supposed to say no to a text that begins with honey and ends with XXOO me? So off I go to CVS. By off I go, I mean off I go 11 hours later because it was a day of reentry. So I get to uh, CVS in Newton Center at 5 o'clock on Monday, October 31. And I immediately see the problem. The candy shelves are bare. <laughs> bare. So I go to the clerk at the counter, behind the checkout counter, and I say, hey, do you guys have any candy? He says, candy? I say, candy. It's Halloween. He says, you know, you're kind of late. We're sold out. I'm like, but my wife, she said, honey. <laughs> she said, honey, can you help me, please? He said, let me see what I can do. And he leaves the checkout counter, and he goes away to the bowels of the store to see. And I wait, and I'm not going to lie, I pray. <laughs> I pray for a Halloween miracle. And sure enough, God performs a Hanukkah miracle on Halloween. Because the clerk comes out of the bowels of the store with a vin. There was one cruise of oil. There was one big vat of unopened candy. And he says, I found it. It was hidden up below other vats. You can buy this candy. And he opens it up, and behold, Halloween candy. I can answer the honey text. 
So this is perhaps more detail than you're expecting. <laughs> perhaps more detail than you usually get on Shabbos morning in shul. But I got Kit Kats, <laughs> Babe Ruth bars, caramel Twix, Reese's in all sizes and shapes, and M&Ms filled with peanuts, chocolate, and I did not even know they had caramel filling. So I had five big bags. And then I go to the self-checkout counter at CVS. Now, self-checkout and me, <laughs> we have a complex relationship. We're, to be honest, we're in therapy together. Because it's just never seamless. It just is never a non-event. And it worked on Monday as it always works. It starts promisingly. I touch the screen and I start scanning. And then after an item or two, the self-check machine gets mad at me and says, I refuse. I refuse. I want to see the store manager. And before I know it, the store manager appears. And this is the really triggering and traumatic part. The store manager has to take out an override card and overrides and then finishes up the transaction. And I wonder, how is that even self-checkout if I need the store manager? <laughs> Long story short, I end up with the Hanukkah miracle on Halloween, five big bags of candy. Now, I go home. I'm on a roll. I'm trying to be a good husband, honey. And I turn on the lights. I put the candy in a bowl. And this is really how it plays out. It's about. 540 at this point. I am reading in our dining room Danny Gordis's book on Israel. Israel, a concise history of a nation reborn. I'm reading chapter two, which is about how the biblical story prefigures what the modern story. And the particular part that I was reading was about Israel's uh, tough neighborhood then and now. So I'm reading in 721, Assyria destroys the northern kingdom. Ding dong, trick or treat. And I, open, I offer the candy, and they take it. Happy Halloween, kids. In 586, Babylonia and Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the first kingdom. Ding dong. <laughs> Trick or treat. How can I help you, kids? Take some candy. Happy Halloween. In the year 70, Rome destroys the second temple and exiles the Jewish people for 1,742 years. Ding dong, <laughs> trick or treat. And they take the candy. Now, it is possible, perhaps, that five big bags of candy was a wee bit excessive. <laughs> I had, all told, eight customers all night. <laughs> the next day, Shira calls me. And she says, hey, how was Halloween? And I said, you know, honey, I feel like an idiot because I spent $50 on candy. And there were eight kids. And she says, $50? And then she says, no big deal, all good, thank you, love you. Now, why am I telling you this sad miracle tale <laughs> of the Halloween Hanukkah miracle and all that uneaten candy, 
because it ties, it ties to a central theme of our early Genesis Torah readings, and it ties to a central theme of all of our lives, and that is how we are known, K-N-O-W-N. How are we known? How do you want to be known? And are you known in the way you want to be known? And what do you want to be known for? What is it that you want to be known for? And are you known for what you want to be known for? And this is a central theme of these early Genesis Torah portions. Begins in Breshid, and it doesn't go so well. Just let's go through this together. Adam and Eve are known for being banished from the Garden of Eden. Cain is known for killing Abel. Abel is known for getting killed by Cain. <laughs> Noah is known for taking care of himself in the ark and not really caring about the world and then not really thriving after the ark, after the rain is over. So it doesn't start so well. And then in our reading today, we start with some different moves. Abraham is known as this knight of faith that Becky talked about so beautifully, who goes where God tells him to go and does what God tells him to do. And Sarah is known as Akara, as a barren woman, her whole fertility story. And Jacob is known as the deceiver who becomes Israel, the one who wrestles. And of course, Joseph is known as the guy who dreams and makes his dreams come true. And our tradition takes how we are known in public very seriously. It's called the Keter Shem Tov, the crown of a good name, that when somebody says your name, they say, oh, whatever your name is, is so amazing in the following ways. So I want to ask you again, if people would say that about you in ways that are consistent with how you would like them to describe that. And what happens if there is a gap between how you would like to be known and how you are actually known. So I want to tell you about a really powerful exercise in a book uh, called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. It's chapter two. This is an amazingly powerful exercise. You're supposed to go to a place where there's no cell phones and nothing that's going to ring or ping or bother you. And you just take a pad of paper and you just take a pen. And you start thinking that you are attending a funeral. And it looks like a funeral. And it smells like a funeral. And it feels like a funeral. And it's about to begin. And then you realize that you are attending your own funeral. It's you at 99, or you at 100, or you at 120. Pick the age. And there are going to be four speakers at this funeral. It's going to be somebody from your family. It's going to talk about what kind of a family person you were. And a friend is going to talk about you as a friend. And a colleague from work. What were you like at work? And somebody from a community of meaning. What was your contribution like in the community of meaning? And you write out what you would like each of these people to say. And then you ask yourself, am I living the life now 
that would generate those words of love and praise? And if not, what tweaks do I need to make now? Because I'm not 99 or 100 or 120. I've still got time. What can I do to end up with the kind of life I'd like to have? So I once did this with a person who came up with something very concrete. And I'll never forget this. At the end of the exercise, and he was reporting out what he had learned about himself, he said, what I would like people to say about me is that I really respected everybody. I respected their humanity. I was very respectful. And I realized I have a big problem. Because respecting people means respecting their time. What's the most precious thing that any of us have? Time. What's the most limited thing that any of us have? Time. And I realize that I need to be punctual, and I'm the opposite of punctual. And so I am changing up my punctuality game. I'm going to be on time so that I respect people's time. So the first level of being known is how you're known publicly. And the first question is, what kind of work do you need to do? What's your version of becoming punctual? But there's a whole second level of how you're known. And that's not how you are known by the world at large, the public. But how are you known by the people who know you best? How are you known by the people who love you most? And what kind of inner character do they know you for? Like the people who really get you, the people who really see you, what do they get, what do they see, and what do they love? What's the deal with your inner character? So I want to read my own favorite version of what inner character looks like. I've loved this quote since I was 13 years old. I've, I've been holding this quote in my wallet since then. It's by James Michener, and this is it. For this is the journey that all human beings make to find ourselves. If we fail in this, it doesn't matter much what else we do find. Money, position, fame, many loves, revenge, all are of little consequence. And when the tickets are collected at the end of the ride, they are tossed into the bin marked failure. But if we happen to find ourselves, if we know what we can be depended upon to do, the limits of our courage, the positions from which we will no longer retreat, the secret reservoirs of our determination, the extent of our dedication, the depth of our feeling, our honest and unpostured goals, then we have found the mansion which we can inhabit with dignity all the days of our life. What is the inner character that you want to be known and loved for by the people who know you and love you the best. And that inner character does involve those big ticket items that James Michener wrote about so beautifully, like the secret reservoirs of your determination. But it also involves the idiosyncrasies, the eccentricities, the weirdnesses that make us human. And the best formulation of that, if you, ever, if you remember seeing Goodwill Hunting, Robin Williams plays the therapist, and he's talking to Matt Damon's character. And Robin Williams' wife has died. And he's talking to Matt Damon about the ways that they loved each other 
for and including specifically all of the eccentricities and idiosyncrasies and being loved for his own and loving somebody who has theirs, that is what he misses most. And that brings us to the heart of our Torah reading, which is about Brit, covenant. So here's the heart of really having a covenantal relationship. I see you. I see all of you. With all of your idiosyncrasies and all of your quirks and all of your oddities. And I love you anyway. In fact, I love you because of all of your idiosyncrasies and all of your eccentricities and all of your quirks. And guess who role models this most of all is Abraham and God. Abraham says to God, God, I got to be honest with you. You tell me that I should go someplace and you're going to bless me. And I get to the land and there's a famine and there's no food to eat and we're starving. Doesn't feel like a blessing, but I love you anyway. And God says to Abraham, you know, Abraham, I don't even know what to make you. You're just all over the place. Uh, I tell you that I'm going to mete out justice on the rapists and criminals of Sodom and Gomorrah, and you go all soapbox on me. And you criticize me, and I tell you to go sacrifice your son, and you don't raise a peep. I never know what I'm going to get with you, but I love you anyway. Who is it in your life that you can see them in the totality, in all of their flawed and outrageous humanity, and you love them anyway? And who is it who sees you, fully you, and loves you anyway? And that brings me back to the $50 that I spent on Halloween candy, which I gave to eight kids. When I talked to Shira the next morning and I told her that, she at first said $50 and then followed that up with, no big deal, all good, thank you, love you. Because Shira knows something about me, which is that when it comes to buying groceries, I am a little immoderate. I grew up in a grocery store, I'm a grocer's son, and when I was a kid growing up, I always admired most and appreciated most customers who bought lots of food. <laughs> and now that I am an adult, I have become that customer. <laughs> and after 40 years, Shira loves me, including that particular quirk. So here's the good news. Uh, how we want to be known publicly and by the people who know us the best and love us the most, is something that can change. And if we do the work and love people the way we want to be loved, then we can be known in the ways we want to be known, not when we're 99 or 100 or 120, but now in this middle of this glorious adventure called living our own lives. And if you want to celebrate the glorious adventure of living your own life with chocolate, if you want a Kit Kat or a Reese's or M&M's, <laughs> come see me. <laughs> I will give it to you for free. And sadly, sadly, this offer of free candy lasts forever. Shabbat shalom. <laughs> <laughs>